Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bill Losey. Uh, he is a retirement specialist. His new book is called Retire in a Weekend, The Baby Boomer's Guide to Making Work Optional. Welcome to the show, Bill. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Jordan. Let's just start with your background and uh, why you have become uh, America's retirement strategist. <laughs> well, I have been uh, in the financial industry now for just over 20 years. I'm a uh, certified financial planner, a certified senior advisor, and a certified retirement coach. Uh, and if you would have told me 20 years ago I was going to end up as a financial advisor, I would have told you you were crazy. Uh, because I actually went to school majoring in broadcasting and communications and actually wanted to be a professional singer, but that idea got shot down by my parents pretty quick when I was a 17-year-old kid. Okay, let's just start with a little bit of the, uh, before we get to, tell me about the services your firm offers and how people can find out more about you. Well, um, people can find out more about me by going to MyRetirementSuccess.com. That's MyRetirementSuccess.com. Uh, but I basically I specialize in working primarily with individuals between the ages of 50 and 70 who are either close to or in retirement, and I help them and develop uh, and manage retirement investment portfolios for them on a fee-only basis. So let's just take a broad look before we get into some of the details about the state of retirement planning in this country now. Are most people doing pretty well in planning for retirement, uh, or are most people not doing pretty well? Well, it's interesting. I would tell you that the, the, the clients that usually come to see me are people that have been diligent savers for, you know, two, three, or four decades. Uh, so, so, so they're either in very decent shape or they're in the ballpark as far as retirement goes. Uh, but of course, if you read all the different studies that are around, you, you hear about a lot of, uh, you know, people not being prepared for retirement. I think the average balance in the 401k plan is now is somewhere around sixty or $70,000, so people are still a long way away from uh, accumulating that nest egg they're going to need in order to retire and live off the income that that portfolio generates. And why is that people aren't saving enough or uh, not fully prepared for retirement as they should be? Yeah, well, a, a couple things. I mean, it's, it's one of these things where I, I have found that, you know, individuals in their 20s or 30s, you know, think that retirement is this, you know, thing that's so far off in the future they've got plenty of time to plan. And, of course, if you wait until your 30s or 40s to start retirement planning, by that time, you know, a lot of people have the kids and the house and the mortgage and car payments, et cetera, and they want to take vacations. So retirement planning sort of gets, you know, slept under the, you know, swept underneath the rug. Um, you know, most people are not maxing out their 401K plans. And, and I will tell you firsthand that I saw a lot of people uh, during the uh, 2008 and early 2009 debacle um, who actually discontinued contributing to their 401k plans because the stock market was going down, um, which would have been a great time for them to be putting more money in because they could have picked up a lot more shares at a cheaper price. 
but I also saw a lot of people who discontinued or decreased the amount they put in their 401ks during that time, um, because as you may recall, a lot of different um, companies uh, at that point also decreased or eliminated their 401k matches at the time. So a lot of people just made the assumption that, well, if the company is not going to contribute, neither am I. You've done a uh, poll, I guess it was, on people's biggest retirement concerns. Why don't you go over the results of that poll and what, what are people's biggest concerns and, and how can they deal with those concerns? Yeah, yeah. well, um, a couple years back, I actually did a research. Um, I, I published a free weekly email newsletter called Retirement Intelligence, and I put out a survey to the people. Uh, not, not so much that I wanted to find out what their biggest concerns were or what the most popular questions was, but, but because simply I wanted to make sure that I was you know, including content in the newsletter that I actually wanted to read. Um, but sure enough, when the feedback came back, I mean, I discovered that there were five primary concerns and ten popular questions. But the concerns were, uh, uh, in, 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 uh, in order from top to bottom, number, number one fear of baby boomers was the fear of outliving their money. Um, and that's understandable because a lot of people, you know, don't have a pension. I think only about 15 to 20 percent of Americans will actually have a pension. The rest are going to have to rely on what they save in their portfolio and or supplement it, you know, with Social Security. Um, another big concern is just the, the, um, the rising cost of, of health care. And more important than the rising cost of health care is that people are just concerned about their own health and, 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 and seeing it deteriorate. So that, that's a big issue for them. Um, n- number three concern for baby boomers is being able to keep up with inflation. Uh, the fourth concern is uh, paying too much in taxes. Uh, and the fifth concern um, at the time of the research was uh, people were really concerned about stock market volatility. So you're saying that the plan you have, which we're going to go into in some detail, can deal with all these different things. You can not outlive your money, be able to finance health care needs, keep up with inflation, not pay too much in taxes, and not worry about stock market volatility. Is that right? Well, well the, the bottom line is uh, my, my goal as a financial advisor is, is try to give people peace of mind. Certainly there are a, a ton of things outside of our control, uh, but to the extent we can control what we can control, it will put people, people on a much better, safer path towards a, a secure retirement. So is it a matter of getting into better habits? or, or I mean, this doesn't happen magically. People are, yeah, in many it, cases, it, in the wrong habits. How do they get into the right habits psychologically? Well, the, the bottom line is I, I think that um, for a lot of people, education is key. Uh, and one of the things I did not tell you um, at the introduction was, you know, despite all the different credentials and the experience that I had, I ended up getting into financial services because uh, close to 25 years ago, I was in a mess myself financially. Um, you know, there I was, you know, with a home that was about 40%. Uh, actually, the, the value of our house was about 40%, than, um, 40% less than, than what we actually owed on it. Um, you know, we were riddled with credit card debt. I was underemployed at the time. And I was thinking, you know, how can a guy, you know, that, that, that appears to be kind of bright with a bachelor's degree get himself in this kind of uh, financial shape? And, and what I realized was that, for the most part, I was a financially illiterate person. I mean, there, there, there was some basic knowledge that I had, but I really didn't have good role models in my parents as far as, you know, being financially astute. I mean, they, they were your, you know, notorious CD investors. Uh, and it was at that point that I decided, you know, to get into the financial services business. You I mean, to just to, number one, help myself, but then number two, make sure that, you know, other people didn't get themselves into this, this financial boat. So, so I really think that education is, is, is one thing. Um, I think it's really important that people understand that their companies – uh, as well as the government are not going to take care of them. It, 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 it's really up to you. This is, it's really about you know, um, uh, their own self-responsibility. Um, but you bring up a good point. I mean, it, it is about habits. Uh, and, and, of course, the most important habit um, that people need to get into is the habit of saving. 
Um, you know, a lot of financial planners, you know, will talk about, you know, having to save 10% or 15% or even 20% of what you make. And most people, when they hear those numbers, their eyes glaze over. And I know that when I was, you know, you know, 20, 25 years ago, when I was in my 20s, I mean, it was the same thing. It's like, I mean, how the heck can somebody possibly get to that level? But what nobody ever came up with was a different solution. Um, and that's where, I, I mean, I talk to a lot of young people nowadays. You know, I'm doing different seminars and different media uh, interviews, talk about what I call the 1% solution. And the solution is, you know, sit down, you know, put pen to paper, figure out some sort of a budget, how much money comes in, what's going out, and on the what's going outside, I mean, look for those expenses that you can actually cut back on, those frivolous expenses. Um, and I have found that if people will take the time to do that real simple exercise, it's not uncommon for them to come up with anywhere from $100 to $900 per month. But they're just blowing on stuff that really doesn't have any significance to their life. So if people can do that exercise, they will uncover at least 1%, maybe 2 or even 5% of their, of their monthly budget that they can now be earmarking towards either saving for retirement, saving for another goal, you know, a down payment, or even reducing or eliminating their debt for that matter. You define uh, being able to retire as being able to make work optional. Is yeah. that basically what you're saying? I mean, for somebody who hasn't saved enough, uh, how is that possible to make work optional when you get near retirement? Well, that, when I did my research, I actually surveyed more than 5,000 baby boomers, uh, and I sort of form, formed that opinion after talking with you know, hundreds of different people. Because what I found is that there are really two different camps. There, there's that camp that has been saving for two, three, four decades religiously, and they want to retire in the traditional sense or close to the traditional sense, you know, similar to the way their parents did, where you know, they're no longer going to work 40 hours per week. You know, they still might do some part-time work or a little bit of consulting here or there, but for the most part, they really don't want to work anymore and have any earned income. They really want to re retire and enjoy life. Then there's the other camp, and it's a large, it's a large percentage. I'd say you know, cl close to 50% of the people that I surveyed said, you know, listen, I probably am never going to be able to retire in the traditional sense. I know that because I haven't saved money. I don't have the resources. So when I talk about you know, defining retirement as making work optional, what I talk about is really finding some sort of a career path or an occupation or a calling or a passion that you can generate an income from that you would never want to retire from. And to the extent that you can find that kind of career and passion in, in what it is you're doing and earn an income for, for it, in essence, you have made work optional because work is play and play is work. Do you have a series of questions uh, that people uh, are supposed to go through? Uh, and why don't you just briefly go through what some of those questions are uh, to help people figure out you know, what's needed, what, what they want to enjoy about their life, and kind of how to make the decision about uh, retiring? Sure. Well, one of the first questions that I ask people, uh, well, first off, before I even tell, tell the question, um, when, when, I, when I'm um, talking with people about this, I always tell them that I want them to answer these questions. I want them to answer the questions from their heart, not their head, because when people you know, tend to come in to talk with a financial advisor, they, they tend to become much more analytical and black and white. So this is really more touchy-feely and along the lines of you know, life coaching rather than just financial planning. But one of the first questions I ask people is, you know, is that if, if, if money and health were no issue, how would you spend your time? And, and I find that to be a really important question because, you know, every once in a while, um, you know, you, you will get somebody who absolutely loves what it is they're, they're doing and they say, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a thing. 
but the vast majority of people that I'm finding in their 50s, especially their early 50s, there, there seems to be something happening to people in their 50s, maybe because they've been working now for three or four decades. But a lot of those people are actually tired and burned of, of either their company or their career, and they want to do something different. So, so by asking this question, it sort of gives, gives them permission to, to express themselves uh, th- that way. Ask lots of questions about, you know, what's most important to them in their life right now. And for a lot of people, their health is really important. Their family, their kids, their relationships are, are really important. Um, another question I'd like to ask, you know, if you could, what would you be doing differently now? Uh, and that's, that's, again, where, where people sort of, you know, get into, you know, talking about their dreams and, and their passions. But I would tell you, um, I mean, out of, out of the questions in my book, the, the favorite one that I love to ask is, is, is question number 10 in my book, Retire in a Weekend. And the question is, what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? Um, and, and this one really sort of takes people, you know, b- by surprise. And a lot of times there's not an immediate answer, and they really sort of have to, you know, you know, you know put, put their chin in their hand and really think about it for a couple minutes before they have an answer because nobody's ever asked them that question. Um, but, but again, you know, as a financial advisor and as a retirement coach, my job is to sort of lead them down a path where they might want to consider something they haven't, you know, either some sort of a goal that they might have thought about in the past or they put on hold because of family and other, other goals and concerns. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, my guest this hour is Bill Losey. Uh, he is the author of a book called Retire in a Weekend, The Baby Boomer's Guide to Making Work Optional. He's known as America's Retirement Strategist. And we'll be back after this. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. If you lead a team of any kind, you need to listen to this show. Tune in to Leading with Emotional Intelligence, hosted by Esther Orioli. Esther provides you with the tools and techniques you need to harness the power of EQ to stop setting goals and start changing behaviors in your organization. Get the latest concepts in EQ from a top-of-the-house perspective and have your questions answered on air. Leading with Emotional Intelligence is broadcast live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter L. Mosca provides those of you eager to invest well in real estate with the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus is to help you maximize your real estate investment dollars. Listen live to the brightest minds in investment real estate every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter L. Mosca, where America learns to invest. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bill Losey. Uh, he is America's retirement strategist, and his book is called Retire in a Weekend, The Baby Boomer's Guide to Making Work Optional. Welcome back to the show, Bill. Great to be here, Jordan. Thanks for having me on. There's a pretty famous uh, financial planner guy named George Kinder who, who did a book called The Seven Stages of Money Maturity. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some questions from his way of looking at things you thought were important for people uh, planning retirement as well. Why don't you go through some of those questions? Yeah, George actually is based out of Massachusetts, and I think he splits his time between uh, Massachusetts and England now, but he's pretty well known within the financial industry um, for what he refers to as his three questions, so I asked him for permission to include in my book. Um, and, and this is, uh, you know, I always take a couple minutes with my clients with this one um, because the questions, as I say in my book, really cut to the core of, of what people are truly passionate about. Uh, so, so, so the answers they give to these three questions really reflect their true desires. But question number one is, um, how would you change your life now and for the future if all of a sudden you knew you had enough money, whatever that means to you? Um, and it's really important to hear that people are not, you know, limited by realism. You know, I always tell them, you know, let yourself a dream and expand what you can do, be your experience. And it's, and it's, it's interesting because some people, you know, can really go for it and can think of some really creative, you know, things and ideas and, and talk about, you know, dreams and goals, you know, that they may have had, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago that perhaps they suppressed because they got married and, you know, did the traditional route with, you know, getting the, you know, the, you know, getting married, having a kids and, you know, getting a house, et cetera. Um, question number two, um, this is where uh, perhaps I have to pull out the box of tissues for people because a lot of people will start to well up and, and, and get kind of serious here. But question number two from a kinder is um, you've just learned that you only have five years to live. Your life is going to be cut short without pain and without notice. So knowing that death is waiting for you sooner than expected, how will you change your life? In that uncertain but substantial period left to you, those five years, what will you do differently with your life? Interestingly, I will tell you that a lot of people um, talk about um, quitting work uh, earlier. Um, a lot of people, if you know, they talk about re- you know quitting work right now if they knew they were going to be done in five years. Uh, and and the most popular response that I get is that people would spend more time with their family and their friends doing fun things. Um, and then the last of the three questions from Kinder is, you just found out that you only have one day to live. You're going to pass away tomorrow. And, and the, the question is kind of deep. It's, you know, what are your feelings? What longings do you have? What regrets do you feel? Um, what deep and unfulfilled dreams do you have? And what do you wish you had attempted or completed? Uh, you know, what do you wish you had you know, been, had, or done in this life that is about to end? Um, and that's usually when the waterworks start to fly in my office. Um, it's just it, 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 it's it's a very very emotional thing, especially for um, a lot of women. Uh, every once in a while, I get the guys to well up and to cry too. Um, but the, but the women seem to be deeply moved by that. But what happens is is that it really crystallizes what what your goals are and what's really important to you. And a lot of people at that moment realize that that perhaps they've neglected relationships with family or friends or kids or grandkids. And it really puts things into context. So when ultimately we get to the money part and the financial planning part, part, we make sure that we're developing plans and strategies that are goals-based to help them accomplish and to mend and to heal and and to nurture those relationships. 
Okay, so we've kind of set up the situation for what you want in retirement. Now let's get to some of the specific areas. One of the things you talk about are the kind of risks that people should be taking and, and in many cases are not taking enough. How does one balance the amount of risk you should take uh, with what you need to be able to fund your retirement? Well, what I found over the years is that, um, you know, one of the things that a lot of financial planners do is have people complete what they refer to as a risk profile questionnaire. Uh, and, you know, and some of those questionnaires, you know, might be, you know, just five questions long. Some are really detailed, might have a hundred questions. I actually um, started uh, working with a company out of Australia called, called Phenometrica, which actually is a behavioral finance firm, um, because I don't want to know what you think about risk. I want to know how you feel about risk. So, so they ask a lot of different questions in various different ways to try to find inconsistencies with the way that you answer. Uh, and there is some, some sort of you know, metric and, and scoring system where you can overlay the answers over the top of each other, which will then give you um, an, an idea of a, an, an allocation range for people as to you know, what percentage of their total portfolio they should have at risk in the stock market versus you know, more defensive investments you know, like, like bonds or, or, or cash, for example. Um, it, it, it's, it's a real personal process. I mean, you know, and, and, and the thing is, I mean, we, we are filled, you know, we're surrounded by risk, I mean, everywhere we go. Um, you know, and, and there are, you know, a couple types of risks that, that I talk about in, in the book. Um, and perhaps, you know, one of the biggest ones is what I would call the silent risk. Uh, and this sort of goes back to, you know, to before in the first segment we were talking about the five biggest concerns. People are really concerned about being able to keep up with inflation because we know that the cost of living is going to increase. So the, the example that I provide in my book is this, is that, you know, if you were to retire today, or even if you're not retired, let's just say you make $50,000 today, um, even at a really low inflation rate of, say, 3%, you would have to have double the income in about 20 years just to, same, uh, just to maintain the same lifestyle that you have today. So when you put it in, in that kind of perspective, people understand that they need to have some money at risk because historically, you know, the stock market has been the one place long-term that has been able to keep pace or outpace inflation. Um, so, 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 so that's one example. The other example I give is, you know, let's assume you, you know, you're, you're living on or you're making 50000 now, even at a low inflation rate of just 3% in 20 years, that would only have the buying power of $25,000. You know, it would be, be reduced by about half. So it, it just, I mean, it just, it, it's a way of, of, of um, you know, again, educating people, showing them different options, uh, you know, to, to get to the same solution, which is you need to have some money at risk. Um, one of the issues that I've seen, especially with, with older folks, and it usually happens about once per year, but I'd say that usually about once per year um, a, a couple will come in, usually in their late 70s or early 80s, and they're basically talking about how they can't afford to live anymore. They're really concerned. So I start asking them questions, and what I find out is, is that, you know, when they retired at, you know, 60 or 65, you know, they did what a lot of popular media will, you know, will, will tell them, which is, you know, to get more defensive in their portfolio. Um, but when they get more defensive in their portfolio, it's to the extreme, to the extent that they've got, you know, 100% bonds or 100% in a fixed annuity, or 100% in CDs and money markets. So, so they really have no investments that are going to be out there to try to keep pace or outpace inflation. And it's kind of a catch-22 for people in their late 70s or 80s because they're at, they're at the point you know, where they need you know, more income, but they're also at the point where they really can't take a whole heck of a lot of risk. So, it, so it's, it's an awful, vicious cycle. But this is why I think it's really important that you know, people always maintain at least some portion of their portfolio you know, in the stock market, um, because at least according to all the research I've done, it, it, it appears to be the only 
um, asset class that uh, you know longer term gives people you know the opportunity to keep pace or, or outpace inflation. People say in the short run that inflation is very low and you don't really have to worry about it. That's why the Federal Reserve can keep interest rates so low. Is your sense that inflation is that low and is going to stay like that, or is it going to be picking up? Well, you know, interestingly, again, you know, in, in doing research for the book, I think that, you know, historically the, the, the numbers, like the average uh, rate of inflation has been like 6%. I mean, certainly in the past 10, 15 years we've seen, I mean, a real low inflation rate, and we know the Federal Reserve is trying to target somewhere in that 2 to 3% range. Um, but but we also have to keep in mind that, you know, that when the government reports those inflation figures, they're also excluding, uh, you know, groceries and medicine and, and things like that, and, and those are the areas that really affect most people. You talk about the employee risk as well. What is the uh, risk of being an employee as, as it relates to retirement? Well, the, the, the bottom line is, is that, you know, I, I think that, you know, years ago, and, and like for, for example, my father's in his early 70s. I mean, he, he actually worked down in Westchester County at, at Con, uh, Con Edison, the utility company. Um, you know, the, 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 there was this feeling, I think, in, you know, in the past, you know, where there was job security and you could actually stay with the company, you know, for your entire career. Uh, in, in my mind, that's completely flown out the window. It's extremely rare when I see people uh, who do that. Uh, to, so, so nowadays, I, I think, you know, to the extent that, that you have, you know, one skill set and you sort of pigeonhole yourself into one career or one company, you are doing yourself a huge disservice. So I really think, you know, we're, we're in this environment now where it's really important that people understand that for most folks, their ability to earn an income is their greatest asset. So it's really important, you know, to go back to school, continue their education, network. I mean, do the best they can to make sure that their job or their company or their career track is going to give them the growth potential to carry them into their 60s or 70s or beyond, um, especially with, you know, with younger folks, again, those in their 20s and 30s. I'm always talking about, you know, I think that in order to navigate the employment landscape, they really need to be nimble. They need to be constantly learning and continually reinventing themselves in order to stay employable. And then you have what you call the good news, bad news risk. What is that? <laughs> well, the good news is we're going to live a lot longer, Jordan. The bad news is we're going to live a lot longer, Jordan. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so, so, you know th this actually, you know, in, in, in the book, I actually, um, you know, talk about how um, seven of ten uh, female baby boomers are going to outlive their husbands, uh, and, and the majority of them can expect to be widows for anywhere from 15 to, to, to 20 years. So, you know, here, you know, I talk about, you know, how the future is really filled with a lot of unknowns. Uh, you know, and, and if you think about it, it's like, you know, we have no idea what the inflation rate's going to be, you know, six months from now, let alone, you know, six or, you know, ten years from now. Same thing with the rates of return we're going to get, same thing with tax, rate, tax rates, et cetera. So, you know, w one of the sort of mantras that I repeat throughout the book is that, you know, you, you really can't guarantee a, a darn thing. In fact, in the book I say, you know, I can't guarantee squat and have people repeat that throughout the book so that they understand that, you know, that, that every single decision that we make is really just based upon um, uh, an assumption, uh, you know, and those assumptions, you know, to some degree create expectations which create guarantees in people's minds. But I, I keep on going back and saying, listen, in reality, there are no guarantees, and the more you resist this fact, the more susceptible you are to disappointment and failure. And that's why we see so many people, you know, state employees and government employees, for example, getting laid off, you know, you know, and they're talking about, you know, you know, um, you know, freezing pay, and they're talking about, you know, now having to pay more medical benefits and, you know, pension reductions, etc. And these people are up in arms because the reality is there are no guarantees, and, and people have to get used to that quick.
Indeed. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Bill Losey. Uh, he is a retirement strategist. Uh, his new book is called Retire in a Weekend, The Baby Boomer's Guide to Making Work Optional. And we'll be back after this. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday, 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. When you are trying to establish your financial plan, there are all sorts of variables that you'll need to take into consideration, from the ever-changing economy and markets to investment risk and your own financial needs. How do you manage all of it to find a plan that will work for you? Tune in to The Insightful Investor with Bob Pugh. We'll help you iron it all out to help you stick to a financial plan with the knowledge that you need. The Insightful Investor is broadcast live Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bill Losey, who's a certified financial planner. He's also America's retirement strategist, and his book is called Retire in a Weekend, The Baby Boomer's Guide to Making Work Optional. Welcome back to the show, Bill. My pleasure, Jordan. We want to talk about some of the big retirement myths and realities, and one of them is uh, what the expenses are going to be in uh, retirement. What is the myth there, and what's the reality? Yeah, well, the, the retirement myth is that you know you'll need seventy to eighty percent of your pre-retirement income to live comfortably in retirement, and the reality is is that uh, only about twenty-eight uh, percent of the people will 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 will, will need about the, the same. You've got almost 40% that are going to need somewhat or significantly higher than that, and only about a third that are going to be lower than that. So I think it's really important, again, that, that people put pen to paper and don't go into retirement, you know, I mean, w- without having a budget. I mean, people hate budgets, but, boy, I, I tell you, that, that is the savings grace. I mean, that's the reason why the country's in trouble. Your next myth is that you should not make your investment portfolio more defensive when you retire. I guess people feel that they, 
they can't afford to lose capital, so they become uh, too risk averse. Is that what happens? Yeah, well, what happens is this. I mean, you know, I, I think it's important, you know, that, that people read different magazines and newspapers. I mean, everybody has a, you know, a different opinion, but opinions are a dime a dozen. So what I always say is that, you know, re- retirement may be a time to make, make a portfolio change and get more defensive, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. Um, you know, and, and the example I give in the book is, I mean, I, I had met with a, a 75-year-old man who had 100% of his money in the stock market. Um, and, 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 and at least in my professional opinion, I thought that was way too much. Um, but the bottom line is he said he'd been investing for 40 years. He's, he'd always had 100% stock. He'd, been, he'd ridden every, every market cycle up and down. He understood the risks, so it was appropriate. You know, conversely, I had two young women in their early 20s at clients, you know, and, and when people are in their 20s, you know, all the popular media says, hey, you, know, you should be 80, 90, 100% in stock. The reality was they, they didn't understand stand the risks, and, and, and frankly, they couldn't stomach the risks, so it didn't make sense for them to have 90 or 100% in stock, so they ended up only having 50 or 60% until they got more comfortable and were willing to assume more risk. Then your next myth is your investment portfolio uh, is supposed to be beating the S&P 500. What's the myth about that? Yeah, this one drives me crazy. It's just, you know, the, the, the S&P 500 is, 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 is that popular indices that you hear on the TV or radio every single day, you know, what it did. Same thing with the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And what I say is that, you know, these are just arbitrary benchmarks. So what I would want people to do is actually benchmark their progress toward the accomplishment of their goals rather than, you know, some arbitrary benchmark. You say that you should not rely on the equity in your home to retire. I guess people are starting to learn that the hard way today, huh? Yeah, that, well, that, 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 that's definitely a self-explanatory one, and, and that was really you know, you know, my own lesson because when I purchased my, my first house in 1988, uh, at that point, that was the top of the market. And then a couple of years later in the early 90s where I lived in upstate New York, a, a huge uh, a corporation uh, shut down and 7,000 people lost their jobs, and we lost about 50, 50% of the value in our house. And up until that point, I was under the assumption, like a lot of people were you know, just a couple of years ago, that real estate always went up. Well, guess what? It doesn't. Indeed. Uh, you're also saying a myth is uh, you can continue to working uh, until your late 60s or early 70s. I mean, that's quite common today, is it not? Well, well it, 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 it is quite common, but I will tell you, based upon the research that I've, that I've said and uh, the research that I've read and I also conducted myself, a large percentage of the workforce are actually forced out of, of their job or occupation when they're in their 60s. I mean, a lot of the times it has to do with, you know, some sort of a medical issue or, you know, even some sort of like a, a family medical um, emergency, but a lot of times it has to do with, you know, with, with corporate restructuring. So for somebody that hasn't, you know, you know been, been a good saver who said, well, you know, now I'm going to start cranking in my 50s or my 60s, you know, you have to be really, really careful because these other things creep up on you, which could, you know, then force you to live on, you know, what meager savings you have and or Social Security. You also say uh, a lot of people count on receiving an inheritance. Is that a pretty rare thing and people shouldn't count on it? Yeah, well, you know, back, you know, I would say that just going back 10 to 15 years ago, there was this, you know, talk about all this, you know, sort of intergenerational wealth that was going to get, you know, passed down, you know, from one generation to the next. Um, but, but I think in light of all the different, you know, you know uh, market events we've had, you know, with significant declines, the, the rising cost of, uh, of medical care, and, and just longevity in general, um, I, think the, I think I read somewhere in one of the, uh, one of the, the media um, popular press releases that um, I think they said the average inheritance uh, will probably be somewhere like between thirty and $40,000. So you know, if people were banking on, you know, six figures or seven-figure inheritance, I would tell them, you know, don't count on it. Indeed. And you finally say, um, don't plan to live on Social Security. I, what are the numbers these days as to what percentage 
of the people who retired are living pretty much only on Social Security? Uh, you know, I, to be honest, I, I, I don't know what that number is, um, but, but it is a fairly large number. I want to say it's somewhere like between 40 to 50 percent. I think the last time I read that a couple of years back. It's a really alarming statistic because, I mean, Social Security was never meant to be the sole source of retirement income, you know, but for many folks it is. And, I mean, and, and, I mean you, know from, you know, from your own experience, I mean, it, it's not a lot of money. I mean, you know, maybe, you know, 800 or 1,000 bucks per month. So that's, that's, that's really a kind of awful way, you know, to, to spend the next, you know, two, three or four decades of your life. Particularly with what's going on in the government. I don't think you should count on an even lower level of it at this point. That's right. Um, then you have a whole chapter on asset allocation. What is the main thing people need to know about uh, allocating their assets with all these volatile markets? Well, the, the bottom line is um, what I say in the book is that, you know, how soon somebody retires, um, their expected rate of return, how much risk that they want to take, how much money they can take out, how long the money is going to last are all greatly affected by that one decision. Um, for, for me as an advisor, I would tell you that I probably spend a good two to three hours with people um, just talking about the risk profiles and allocations and talking about, you know, expected rates of return and risk ranges, you know, you know given different mar market cycles, et cetera. And, and oftentimes we will actually back into an allocation, you know, once I understand, you know, what the risk and potential returns are. Because for, for most people, again, you know, this, this sort of, you know, goes, goes back to that whole thing about, you know, not, you know, benchmarking your performance to the S&P. You know, what I always say to people is, you know, what return do you require to prevent yourself from running out of money given the lifestyle you desire? Because that way it's tied into the number one concern, which is outliving their money. And once we know, you know, what, what, what specific return they require, then we can back into an allocation that, that's going to put them in a good position, you know, to, to, to deliver that return. You then have a chapter, what, what you call What Wall Street Doesn't Want You to Know, and there you talk about high-profile versus low-profile markets. What do you mean by that, and why should you have money in both kinds of uh, markets? Yeah, well, the bottom line is when I talk about what Wall Street doesn't want you to know, this was actually the offshoot of a conference that I went to where there were different money managers debating the, the pros and cons of active management versus passive management. You know, so, so somebody that would be out there actively buying and selling all the time versus somebody that would just own an index. And what Wall Street doesn't want you to know is the fact of the matter is that active doesn't work all the time and passive doesn't work all the time. So when I talk about, you know, high-profile and low-profile markets, and in the book, you know, I talk about, you know, skill-weighted portfolio, this is really about, you know, having management that, that, is, that is matched to market efficiency. So when I talk about, you know, the high-profile market, these might be, you know, you know, companies like, you know, IBM, 18, TGE. This is the high-profile, large-cap market where all the different analysts cover these things and all the, all the, pretty much all the available research is, is, is out there on the Internet for free and everybody knows about it. So, so there's, I mean, there, there's not a lot of value that a portfolio manager can offer in that large cap area. So that might be an area of your portfolio that you actually do index and invest passively. But then there are other sectors of the market like small cap, the low profile, where there are thousands and thousands of small companies that perhaps don't get the coverage that large cap stocks do. So, so there a money manager might be actually to deliver some values. So, so there you might be willing to, you know, to, to pay a little bit more of a fee you know, with the hope that you know, this research is, is going to pay off and, and, and you'll earn at least what the market does or better than the market. And then you have what you call the alpha rim, which is special opportunities. What, yeah, what are some examples of those? Yep. Well, I mean, that, that, for example, you know, might be gold or commodities or some sort of an alternate strategy. And what I found is that with a very small percentage of my clients, maybe about 10%, and these are usually, you know, higher net worth and more savvy investors, 
you know, th- th- they are looking for alternative asset classes, you know, that might help to mitigate risk in their investment portfolio. So, you know, certainly, you know, we'll go on out there and we'll look at other opportunities, you know, either in certain countries or certain sectors. Uh, and in a lot of cases, I mean, it's either a mutual fund or an ETF that we'll use. Is that something you do for your own clients, then, as you put them in some of these more unusual opportunities? That's, well, uh, with, with a very small percentage of my clients, I do, but I wouldn't say they're really unusual opportunities because it could be, you know, we're going to invest in a country like China or we're going to go ahead and have a small percentage of our portfolio in gold or silver, something along those lines. So, so it's not something that, that's so out there that, that people wouldn't understand it. And then you also say uh, that the costs are important, uh, expenses. Uh, yeah. What kind of difference does it make to have lower versus higher expenses in your investments? Huge. I mean, and, and well, what I say throughout the book and, and, and even on, in a lot of the other media interviews that I do around the country, what I have found is, is that with the exception of, you know, um, people that, that, are, that have occupations as engineers, most people actually have no idea what they're paying in dollars or cents for the investments they own. I mean, most people don't read the prospectuses. They have no idea what they're paying. So, what I always, you know, talk about is that, you know, it's like if, 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 you can, if you can find two investments that have similar performance and similar characteristics, you know, but, but, but one investment, you know, you know, costs a half a percent or a quarter of, of a percent, you know, less per year, you obviously want the one that's the lower cost because that's just an extra quarter to half a percent per year that you're going to be able to earn on your money. So it's really important. I mean, costs do matter. I mean, certainly, I mean, you know, Vanguard Investments, you know, is, is, is one of the, 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 the big companies that, that comes to mind as being a low-cost low provider. But what I have also have to, you know, caution people on is that, you know, just because something is low-cost doesn't necessarily mean it's the best either. So you really have to make sure that you're getting value for what you're paying, and that's really what the emphasis is, uh, emphasis is on in my book. Are you talking mostly about management fees or loads? Are you saying you should always do no-load funds, for example? Uh, well, the bottom line is is that with with the clients that, that, that I actually work with, we're, we're always in, uh, in in no load mutual funds, and we try to keep the internal cost and expense ratios as low as possible. You know, but for but but for for, for do it yourself uh, investors, it's the same thing. It's like I mean, do you want to be you know in an ETF that might charge you know twenty five basis points? You want to be in a mutual fund that charges thirty five basis points, or a mutual fund that charges you know one point three five percent. Um, you know, so this is where people really need to sit down and, and, and compare apples to apples or apples to oranges to really see what makes sense. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, before we do that, just tell them again the website they can find out more about you and uh, what you offer at that website. Sure. Um, people can go to myretirementsuccess.com. That's myretirementsuccess.com. And when people go there, they can, uh, you know, sign up to, you know, to get their free uh, subscription to Retirement Intelligence, which is my award-winning newsletter. I also got uh, some free reports that they'll automatically get downloaded about retirement mistakes and how to avoid them. So they can go to, again, myretirementsuccess.com. Very good. Uh, my, my guest this hour is Bill Losey. Uh, his book is called Retire in a Weekend. Uh, The Baby Boomer's Guide to Making Work Optional. We'll be back after this. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Intense and intelligent. 
Catch Kevin, unscripted and uncensored, keeps you informed of the ideological, theological, and economic war being waged against the United States of America. Kevin Lehman's bold and brilliant style challenges your deepest held beliefs and provokes you to ask the hard questions, religious, scientific, political, or financial. Kevin is holding the establishment's feet to the fire with high-profile guests that include politicians, economists, theologians, and business titans. He'll demand truth over tradition and facts over fiction. Full of passion, wisdom, and wit, Kevin's transparent and no-nonsense style make Catch Kevin unscripted and uncensored. The go-to show for real insight on business, politics, social issues, and breaking news. It's time to get real, America. It's time to tackle the tough issues head on. Tune in to Catch Kevin, unscripted and uncensored, Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. If you are looking for creative ways to improve your bottom line, tune in to Make Your Move with Alan and Brian Bolio. Their proven track record of helping businesses enhance their profitability will provide the basis for a forum about actionable items based on a business person's perspective. The program will be business talk, but with an economic context, so you'll know how to stay ahead of the game. Make Your Move is broadcast live every Monday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bill Losey. He's a certified financial planner, America's retirement strategist, and his book is called Retire in a Weekend. Welcome back to the show, Bill. Pleasure to be here, Jordan. Thanks. You have a chapter called Creating Income for Life. Uh, so let's go through some of the ways that you can uh, create income. I guess the first step is to figure out how much income you're going to be needing. What are some steps in doing that? Well, you know, here, well, you're exactly right. So we want to talk about, you know, what are the sources of income that somebody has? So they have, do they have a monthly pension? Do they have Social Security? Um, do they have earned income? Uh, you know, is there any other anticipated income or inheritance or a gift that they're expected? You know, so, so, so what is the total monthly projected income they're going to have? So, so, so then I always talk about people about doing the math. So, so you want to take all that projected income, you want to sort of subtract out, you know, what your expenses are, and that'll leave you, you know, either with a surplus or a deficit at the end. So it's really important to understand if you have, you know, money left over or if you're, if you're coming up short. Um, I, I think that the, the real key component in this chapter is, and again, I found this out through my research, you know, with the, with the more than 5,000 baby boomers, is that people, especially baby boomers, when they retire, are looking for three things. They're looking for a predictable income stream. They're looking for a sustainable income stream. And hopefully they're looking for an increasing income stream. So, so, so the book really talks about how to do those three things. Let's concentrate about the increasing income stream. What are some ways to have your income increase? Well, the bottom line is when I talk about increasing income, this really goes back to that, to that asset allocation decision and before when I talked about the silent risk about keeping up with inflation. So here, this is why I think it's really, really important for people to maintain at least some portion of their portfolio in the stock market. In fact, I usually recommend that my, that my private clients, regardless of their age, keep at least 
30% of their portfolio there in the stock market. Um, and I also caution people, it's like, I, I mean, I know that past performance is not a guarantee of future results, but as of now, the equity market still have been the only asset class consistently over decades that have, ret- that re- that have um, delivered returns above inflation. So, so, so I think people need to have some money there. So uh, bonds is one of your other areas. Would you be concerned about getting into bonds with yields as low as they are today? Um, to, to be honest, I, I'm actually, I'm really not. Um, and the reason I'm not is this. In fact, even for my, you know, my existing private clients that have positions in bonds, there's this concern that, you know, that the Fed is going to you know, go on a tear increasing interest rates. And, of course, when the Fed increases rates, you know, existing bond prices or bond fund values go down. There's an inverse relationship. Um, but based upon all the research that, that, that I have seen and all the different calls that I've been on with different analysts, etc., most people believe that, that there is going to be um, an increase in interest rates, but over a, a sustained period of time, um, basically anywhere from three to eight years until this economy really sort of gets itself back on track. Um, so, so, so I personally don't have a problem with, with, with people having money in bonds at all. Another area you talk about is reverse mortgages. When are reverse mortgages appropriate and when are they not appropriate? Well, I tell you, um, they, they are, they've become a lot more popular, you know, in, in recent years. Um, but, but, and, and I think I've only recommended it, you know, once or twice to people as something to consider down the road. What, what I always, you know, like to say to people is that uh, I, I think it's important, um, you know, if you are equity rich but cash poor to consider that, especially if you don't want to move. Um, you know, and the bottom line, you know, with the reverse mortgage, there are people who are actually converting the equity in their home into some sort of an income stream. But I, I tend to like it for somebody that's older uh, and or uh, usually as a last resort, again, you know, when they're getting close to exhausting all of their cash, but they've got a lot of equity in the house. And then annuities, you talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. When are annuities appropriate and when are they not appropriate? Well, you know, um, annuities are, are that one type of investment, you know, where they say that they can guarantee you, you know, an income stream for life. You know, it's money that you can't outlive. Um, where, where I personally think it's really appropriate uh, is when somebody is retired um, and they're going to be living solely off of Social Security and their investment portfolio. So for that, you know, approximately 80% of consumers that is not going to have a pension, in essence, they need to create their own pension or their own paycheck in retirement. And at least as of now, insurance companies and annuity products are the only, you know, guaranteed sort of investment that they have. What, what I don't like about annuities um, is, is the way that they are offered to the public. Um, they are really confusing. There are thousands of different options. And before when we were talking about, you know, how it's important, you know, to pay attention to investment costs, it's really important here, you know, to, to ask your financial advisor or your insurance agent, what the costs are in, in both percentages and dollars and cents for them to quantify what the costs are because it is not uncommon for certain types of annuities to be paying, you know, 3 or even 4%. You know, if, if it's an annuity that, that, that's being offered through an advisor, certainly there are companies like Fidelity or Vanguard that offer lower-cost annuities, um, but, but, but they're really more of a do-it-yourself investor. But, but for me, sort of in short, I'd say that I think annuities um, are a good product for certain people in certain situations generally those folks that do not have a guaranteed pension and, and, and want to have some sort of a guaranteed income stream for life. Um, in the book, what I, what I sort of recommend is that people may want to consider um, actually um, annuitizing up to 25% of the value of their investment portfolio, so at least they have some sort of base guaranteed income stream from an insurance company for life. Another thing you talk about is long-term care insurance. Uh, when is it appropriate to get long-term care insurance and when is it not? 
Well, with, with long-term care insurance, you know, th- th- this, again, is a, is a real, real personal decision. But what I say to people is this, is that, you know, if, if you want to protect a, a healthy spouse um, from experiencing a loss of, of financial security and or decrease in the standard of living, um, if you want to protect family members from having to act as caregivers and potentially jeopardizing their own financial security, uh, and if you want to maintain your financial independence, your dignity, and your de- decision-making authority, that's when I think you really need to consider long-term care insurance. The, the real big issue here, are, is, it's really twofold. One, people don't trust insurance companies. There's been, you know, some stories, you know, in the media, you know, about these, you know, people that, you know, had long-term care policies and weren't able to collect. So automatically people think that every, you know, company or every policy is a bad one. That's not true. The other thing really here is, is the cost. Uh, and for this, you know, with a lot of folks that are baby boomers, um, in my book I actually talk about what I refer to as the 1% solution. You know, very simply, I mean, are you willing to invest 1% of your investments or savings each year to protect the other 99%? And, and for a lot of folks, you know, you know, so a great example, you know, you've got a half a million dollar portfolio. Are you willing to invest 5000 per year with an insurance company to protect that other 495 What I found, I mean, through, through my own research with my own clients, is that most people won't even have to pay 1% for long-term care. In a lot of cases, it might be half a percent or three-quarter of 1% of the total value of their portfolio. And, and I think that for a lot of folks, that just makes sense to defer the risk and transfer the risk to somebody else. In closing, we've got about a minute to go. Why don't you kind of sum up how it is possible to retire, as you say, in a weekend when it seems so difficult for people to put together the money they need for retirement? Well, I'll tell you a couple things. Number one, um, I'll sort of give you my, my uh, couple rules to saving for retirement. Uh, number one, I, I call this the automatic rule. You want to start saving money today. Uh, even if it's only just a couple bucks each pay period, savings is a habit you have to start and stick with for the rest of your life. Uh, and to improve the chance of saving success, people definitely want to automate the process uh, to the extent that they can put it on autopilot, have money withdrawn um, automatically from their paycheck or directly from a checking account each month. They're doing themselves a big, a big uh, service. What I always say is that you know, if you, if you don't want to think about saving, automation can take care of it for you. So, so that, that's number one. Um, number two, as I mentioned earlier uh, in the interview, the 1% rule. So at a minimum, you want to save 1% of your earnings each payroll period but when you get a salary increase, add an extra percent to your savings and spend the rest. Um, so as an example, you know, if you get a 3% raise at work, I say save 1% of the raise, spend the other 2%, uh, because then that way they'll continually increase their savings rate, but they'll also enjoy a higher standard of living. Um, probably the most important rule that, I, that I'll probably end on today is that the government and your company are not going to take care of you. And I'll say that again, the government and your company are not going to take care of you. So it's really important for people to read, you know, to listen, to learn about personal finance, investment strategies, you know, you know, you know go out and get books, get newsletters, uh, because in the end, their financial well-being is their own personal responsibility. They have to control what they can control. Very good. Uh, my guest has been uh, Bill Losey. He's a certified financial planner. He's America's retirement strategist. This book is called Retire in a Weekend. And one last time, give them the, the website. They can find out more about you. Yeah, people can go to MyRetirementSuccess.com. Thanks so much, Bill Losey. We've, we've learned a lot about how to plan for a successful retirement. I appreciate you being on The Money Answer Show. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Thank you, and we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now.
Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.